you can see it kind of obscured behind my plant here, but we've got a line of uh, raw carbon paddles coming out later this summer, later this fall. I operate in the sense that pickleball could go away. There's a lot of pickleball brands that are buying stuff off a menu, um, and that's a great way to get started, but we are interested in actually developing our own stuff. Brand building, yes, and that is a lot of where we put our time and money. The difference between wholesale and our Amazon business and our website business. And it was a, a great crash course in not just what to think, but how to think. Uh, a real nice surprise for us, and it makes sense in retrospect, is our ball business on Amazon. First, I was taught from a young age from my dad, um, underfunded businesses fail. So what can we learn from the president and CEO who has led a team to becoming a top 10 brand on Amazon? On top of that, Pickle has received a $2 million investment from venture firm BLH Venture Partners. My guest, Mike Gottfried, was also previously part of Control Freak, an esports gaming and accessories company, which was later acquired by SteelSeries. Mike shares valuable insights that he's learned over the years, as well as making an announcement for his company's plans to release a new product later this fall. Hey, what's going on everyone? Welcome to another episode of Building Pickleball. This is the founder series where I'm talking with different founders in this space and really just trying to unpack their story, like what got them started, what are the challenges that they're experiencing, what's their outlook on pickleball. My guest today is Michael Gottfried. Michael is the CEO of Matchplay Brands, a direct-to-consumer company, and this company has two child brands, which one is Pickle and the other is Piper Golf. Um, Piper Golf makes tour-quality golf balls at amateur prices. That's their line. And Pickle is high-performing pickleball gear, ranging from paddles to balls, and they also uh, have the uh, lead tape added as well, which is very popular right now. Previous to all this, Michael was the director of marketing at Control Freak, a video game accessories company. Yeah, Michael, really appreciate your time and thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Brian. It's good to talk to you and excited to, to get into it and talk some some pickleball and everything that we've got going on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, for those of you that don't know, they had re reached out to me initially and I was a guest on uh, their podcast, which is awesome and got to share a little bit of my story and also led me to diving a little bit deeper into um, their company history. And I did a review on their balls and then just kind of like a deep dive company analysis. But first question, let's see, what's one thing you think most people don't know about you that you wish more people did? People think I'm a very chill, calm person. And I've got a little bit of that like duck floating on the water where like kind of beneath the surface, I've got a lot of energy, some call it anxiety, uh, healthy skepticism, and um, sometimes pessimism. I mean, I'm an incredibly optimistic person when it comes to business and when it comes to my outlook on a lot of things. But I think I internalize a lot of I don't know, stress and anxiety. Um, and so sometimes it surprises people when I say, uh, despite the fact that I seem kind of low key, chill, calm, um, there's plenty going on in here and, and uh, it makes a big sort of, uh, you know, impact internally to kind of hear those, uh, to, to think about, I don't know, um, what, what other people's perspectives and how they think about me. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, put out a little bit of a different vibe than sometimes I think about myself when I, what I've got going on between the years. That's very like refreshing to hear. Cause I am the exact same way, man. Like people say that about me and I'm like, I tell people all the time, like the first thing I say is just like, dude, there's like a burning building just like going on in here. And it's just like complete chaos. And there's just like so much happening, but then like on the outside, um, there's just like what people, what you choose to give to people. And I think, there's someone I was watching a podcast and they talked about the three personalities of yourself. And you're like, there's the personality that you exude and convey to, you know, general public. And then there's the side of you that people see. And these are people are like your friends and family. And then there's the side of you that no one pretty much sees. It's like who you are when you're alone and um, those different aspects. But um, where do you think all that came from? Is there anything like, from your childhood upbringing? Uh, you know, I've got the uh, stereotypical Jewish anxiety, perhaps. That may be a real thing uh, if we want to, you know, go that route. Um, 
You know, I don't know. I think it's, it, look, I've turned, I've learned how to use it and turn it into a positive, right? Like I think having a little bit of a anxiety and healthy skepticism about some things can be motivating, um, can make me a little bit more detail oriented and thorough when it comes to like things that I'm addressing either in my professional or personal life. Um, so, you know, there were times like particularly in my twenties where I don't know, anxiety or, or, you know, I was never like a completely anxiety stricken person, but like, as you're growing up, you kind of can get consumed by those thoughts and wonders and, and curiosities and in a way that's not necessarily positive. And I think I've learned to harness um, the sort of healthy anxiety to use it for for good for myself, for my my business and for my family. So, you know, learning experience and life experience there. Um, I can't point to like any one thing necessarily, maybe other than my DNA, but um, again, trying to learn to use it for, for a positive impact as opposed to like just constantly being consumed by worrying, right? Like that, that I think doesn't get anybody anywhere. That's a good point. Like emotion instead, it's like, like fear, sadness, grief, all those things. Like the, the idea, the point isn't to like hide from it or reject it. It's, it's exactly what you said, like find a way to use it as fuel, put it behind you instead of in front of you so it can push you forward. But, uh, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I was really excited to get you on this podcast because after looking into your background, that was something that always got me really excited about when I was in the tech space was like venture capital, like different startups and like, how do they do all this? Like, Hey, hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Also, I did want to make the announcement for the giveaway winner of the Yola gear. So there was the Yola duffel bag as well as this Yola hat. And the winner was Victor Chan. I'll reach out to you, Victor. Thanks to everyone who watched the Yola video and followed the steps for the giveaway and also giving me the feedback regarding the audio. It's definitely very helpful and I really appreciate you guys looking out for the channel. Enjoy the rest of the video. Kind of like walk me through, it looked like there was a company before Control Freak, but if you want to start before them, um, yeah, just dive right yeah. into it. I can give you, you know, from from sort of day one. So, um, or not day one, but you know, whatever it was in my early twenties. I uh, I graduated from college in two thousand eight, um, and I got a job in healthcare, healthcare marketing. Um, and when the economy tanked in sort of later two thousand eight, this company that I was working for, like evaporated and ceased to exist almost overnight. Um, they were like, yeah, we're going to do layoffs. We're going to do layoffs. And then like all of a sudden it was just gone. Um, so terrible economy. Uh, I got together with a buddy of mine from college and we decided to start a company doing whatever we could do to sort of make money. And our skill was marketing and website development at the time. So um, we ultimately kind of ended up building some of these first early, not first, but early e-commerce sites. We were building, you know, taking offline businesses and bringing them online, building their websites. And then that kind of translated quickly into building their marketing programs too. So early kind of MailChimp, email marketing, Facebook ads and Facebook social media marketing. Um, so like the late aughts, right? Like this stuff is still new. And we're getting exposure to clients who are asking us to like build a digital presence for them and build their brands online. I got exposed to a ton of different businesses, what works, what doesn't work, work. And then with them as clients, I would also get kind of a peek into their back end, right? Like how are they funded sometimes? Or what does their back office look, look like from an operational perspective? You know, where are the hurdles and the checkpoints that, you know, these companies are going through in terms of their growth and scaling? And, you know, I either took actual notes or mental, mental notes along the way um, to kind of start to build an idea of, you know, how people were doing this in this space. Um, got about 10 years into that and kind of realized that I wasn't built for client service. Again, going back to the anxiety thing, like I had my first kid and uh, she was born at 6.30 in the evening. And by 10 o'clock that night, I was back on my computer emailing people, responding to customers and clients like, just because I didn't want to keep them waiting. Um, so, you know, that wasn't healthy and sustainable. And I kind of had the uh, realization that I didn't want to be in a client service business for the rest of my life. And with it being my company, I kind of had to make a change. I had a super supportive wife that basically said, look, you're not happy doing this. Like you should make a change. Um, and she pushed me to make a change. I ended up leaving that business and kind of giving my portion uh, back to my, my partners at the time. 
Um, and with no idea what to do, my job was to network. And ultimately, I networked my way to find um, Ashish, who was the CEO of Control Freak. And so what I saw was an opportunity to take all of that agency experience and bring it in-house for one client, right? Um, the job was basically to run the direct-to-consumer business for Control Freak. And for those who don't know, Control Freak's a video game accessories company. We made um, our primary product was these um, essentially performance thumbsticks, thumbstick extenders for Xbox and PlayStation. They add some height, comfort, grip to a PlayStation or Xbox controller uh, for games like Call of Duty, first-person shooters, and, and sports games as well. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a, a wild ride. I jumped in, um, we were growing the company. We were doing great, you know, from again, with my real focus on marketing and direct to consumer marketing, I was doing things like influencer marketing, um, all of our advertising, brand building, social media, um, performance marketing, and then our, our direct to consumer site on, um, you know, selling through our website and then overseeing our fairly large Amazon business. Um, when COVID happened, you know, businesses kind of went one of two ways and we were just in the right place at the right time. A video game focused, e-commerce focused business could not have been more of a beneficiary of people having to stay at home. Um, and so we were very fortunate to, um, you know, have that kind of catalyze our business in a whole new way uh, to the point where we ultimately sold it at the end of 2020 uh, to a company called Steel Series, who makes headphones, keyboards, mice, et cetera. Um, and so going through that acquisition was another learning experience for me. I hadn't been through that type of thing before, um, a ton of anxiety around it, you know, a big change in a remote environment. We were all still kind of in that COVID like quarantine space at the end of 2020. Um, and I kind of had the same thing where like all of a sudden I wasn't happy. I wasn't feeling challenged. I didn't know the new people I was working with. Um, and my supportive wife jumps in and is like, you need to make a change. I got to work first thing I did was to build myself a framework. I started writing stuff down on a whiteboard. I was like, I know all this stuff about e-commerce. I know all this stuff about brand building. I love games. I've been playing golf and pickleball all through COVID. What am I going to kind of put this into and how am I going to put this together? And so that's where it all kind of got born out of um, and, uh, you know, decided to start the golf ball company first, but quickly followed it up with pickle. Um, which has become kind of the all-star and what we're really focused on, uh, you know, with, with 99.9% of our time at this point. I said a little long-winded, but that's, oh. yeah. Yeah, no, it's perfect space for that. Um, something that stuck out is that you graduated college in 2008, right? Like everyone knows that 2008 is just marked with the recession. The valuable like perspective or like take from that experience is that you got to see like what the economy is like when it tanked and then also like how to pivot, how to adjust, how to adapt to it. I guess my question is like, have you seen, are you seeing any common traits to like where we're at now as far as like e-commerce companies, direct to consumer, and also even like Pickleball, which is seeing this like rapid growth. Like what's kind of your take on that? Yeah. I mean, first things first, I was too young and not paying enough attention to really even know what was going on in, in 2008. I was like, you know, getting texts from my girlfriend at the time. She's like, the stock market is crashing. I'm like, well, I don't own any stocks, so that doesn't matter to me. Um, and I remember thinking like, this is not that big of a deal, whatever. Um, so like, to be honest, you know, looking back, yeah, there was, you know, obviously credit issues and housing issues and things like that. But specifically with e-commerce, I think COVID continues to be the one thing that like was this sort of black swan that made this explosive e-commerce growth. And now we're kind of reeling it back in just a little bit, right? I don't think anything ever goes back to the way it was, but like retail and physical stores and pro shops and people want to be out and get out and touch things and feel things. And that's never going to go away either. So despite the fact that some people were forecasting like crazy, crazy growth for e-commerce for the rest of time, right? Like it ends up kind of leveling back out. And I think that goes back to something that I probably did learn in 2008 is like, everything's a phase to a degree and you kind of ride out the phases. Um, nothing lasts forever. And if you kind of understand that, but you're able to take advantage of sort of the um, sort of what's going on in the moment um, or what's going on in sort of the short and medium term, as opposed to trying to forecast what's going to happen over, you know, five or 10 years, then it's a little bit of a safer space to operate. Yeah. it's a good point. Like everything is cyclical and that's just something that like Ray Dalio has pointed out. If 
So you've seen like failure in companies, uh, you've been part of it. And then you've also been part of like launching successful brands and, you know, like probably two, two years, three years into these companies, as far as failure, what do you, what, what did you see? Like were some of those common traits? I think the first thing is not really understanding what business you're in. And that's a silly sort of simple thing to say, but I think as a CEO or a business leader, you've got to really understand the fundamentals of the business that you're trying to run and how that impacts sort of the economics of the business too. And so, um, you know, when I think about us as a pickleball brand and what business we're really in, um, you know, we're in the business of, I think, brand building, yes. And that is a lot of where we put our time and money and, and, and execution in terms of like the brand is sort of this overall thing that kind of everything gets kind of rolled into. Um, but more than that, you know, that and how it really ties into the fundamentals of, um, you know, the, the vehicle itself, right? Are you building it for people? Are you building it for yourself, right? Like I had a goal when I started this to get some of the team and not much of the team back together from control freak and to do it again, right? Like we achieved something, we had success. Um, you know, then we kind of went through this phase where we saw what maybe the other side looked like where the business got acquired and all of a sudden we weren't as happy and we weren't finding the fulfillment. We weren't enjoying necessarily the same things that we were before. And so it may have been a, you know, a little bit of a dream, but like trying to recapture some of the magic of having a team and doing impactful things together and, and making it fun. And so beyond like selling stuff, right, beyond the brand building and the marketing, taking care of the business so that the business takes care of us is something that I, I learned from Ashish at Control Freak. And that's what we're really trying to do. And that means taking care of us financially, but that means taking care of us on a day-to-day -day basis and the people we spend our time with and who we go out to lunch with and how we kind of like go to work every day and attack the day and come home with a sense of enjoyment and fulfillment and progress on what it is that we're kind of trying to do. Yeah. That's another like really interesting point is about how you brought back, like the band is back together, right? Like you brought them back, um, and team and structure. I've heard it from back when I was like working at a FinTech startup. That's what the COO said. He's just like, whenever he was investing, he said, the first thing you look at is a team. So like when you, think about the team and how you brought it back together. Why that? And what traits do you think make a strong and successful team? Yeah, it's a good question. And it, it, it took me seeing both sides of it, where in my agency life, uh, I ended up with two partners. And I think we were not well balanced. We were three guys that kind of thought the same way. Um, and that was an obstacle. I go to control freak and end up on a leadership team where we like took the time to go through these personality profiles and communication profiles. And I can't remember the name of the actual one, but like I was yellow and Kelly was blue and Scott was green and Ashish was red. And, you know, having a well-rounded team, both from like a skill set perspective, but even from like a who you are as a person, personality profiles, communication styles, optimism versus pessimism, some of the stuff we talked about, um, knowing that stuff. And so then when you get into like a disagreement or a healthy debate, you have an understanding of where that person is coming from and you can make it productive and make it work for you. And so like being well-rounded at the top being well-rounded through the organization has been a huge priority to have, again, different styles, different communication styles, different working styles. Um, you know, I said like in business, I try to find the upside and the optimism in a lot of what we're doing. And, you know, I get that balanced out sometimes by like realism to pessimism, um, from our head of operations. Who's like, Hey, before you get ahead of yourself, like let's forecast something very conservatively. Let's forecast something with like not the absolute highest amount of upside in mind so that, you know, we don't set ourselves up for disappointment or failure, or when we, you know, outkick our goals, then we find some, some excitement and some joy in the fact that we, we, uh, not sandbag, but, but beat the expectation. Yeah, for sure. Um, dude, that color profile test. That's so funny. I did that at, at Atlassian. Um, I was, I was a yellow as well. Yellow, it was like a mix of yellow and blue. Um, yeah. You can, you can vary like when 
the profiles come out and the personalities like features and traits you're like oh that person is very much that certain color like there's a little blue yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a chick on my team she was just like she just had this like insane amount of drive and just like meticulousness and just very like on point had no problem telling people like being very direct and red yeah red authoritarian right like we had these like colored dots on our monitors so like when you walked up to somebody at their desk you could like take a second and be like okay they're a green like they're very analytical blah 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 like before you even started talking to them so it was like in the back of your mind but it's it it seems silly and it seems like one of these almost like business school waste of time things but it was so so constructive and positive for us yeah just yeah imagine you just have like that ambient like you just have that uh like impression of how to approach someone without like needing to guess it's like okay like i have a good idea of how to approach them and it, you eliminate that it's just a waste of time when you and you could also start off on the wrong foot too you mentioned earlier that like one of the things that you learned from ashish was i think it was something about like the team um but what else did you learn from because i see he's is he a chairman board member yeah he's he's our executive chairman um and you know he's taking a little bit more of a I don't know, uh, leadership role within the company. And, you know, he's acting as an advisor um, and more so trying to, I don't know, he's like the parental figure in the room to a degree, right? Like he's definitely uh, got impactful ideas and, and um, perspective, which can be gained from not being in it on like an absolute day-to-day basis. And so there's a little bit of balance there too. Um, but you know, I learned a ton from, from Ashish and, you know, to anybody who's thinking about starting a company, like I thought I knew everything. And then I got the opportunity to sit shotgun with Ashish at control freak. And I learned so much. Um, and I would encourage people, if you've got the ability to learn from others, right. Um, see how they do it, see how they think. And again, take the notes. You don't have to copy them exactly, but I didn't know everything. I didn't know anything. And getting to kind of see how somebody else operated again i wasn't there to start control freak i was there kind of part way through the journey to come on board um but there was so much to learn again team finances the perspective the difference between wholesale and our amazon business and our website business and you know the the opportunities and upsides with certain marketing initiatives and how you think about them um it was a, a great crash course in not just what to think, but how to think about the business. And uh, I've taken so much of that with me. That's awesome. Mentors are so key. Um, and it's very, it's not easy to find one either. Um, you actually just brought it up, but Amazon, like that's a key part of your business. And in the analysis, uh, something I like found out was that uh, Pickle is a top 10 brand on Amazon. What like what went into that? Why did you guys prioritize Amazon? And what do you see is a like benefit to being on Amazon and yeah. and, and challenges too? Yeah, I mean, first things first, Amazon's the biggest retailer in the world. I mean, they are the biggest deliverer of stuff to people that exists. They've passed Walmart. They've passed whoever else you've got. Um, something like fifty. of Americans have a prime membership at this point. I mean, it's nuts. Um, So like that's a backdrop. Um, We had a really successful Amazon business with Control Freak and we knew the impact that it could have. Um, That said, when we got started with Pickle, right? Like there's plenty of competition on Amazon and it's not new to anybody that like Pickleball stuff is available on Amazon and plenty of the other brands um, are using Amazon to their benefit. So one, we knew it was a meaningful channel, um, but two, the barriers to entry there are much lower, right? Like we were able to kind of create a little bit of our own path and our own destiny and own the assets there. Like we get to put our own images on there. We get to kind of build our brand on Amazon in a way that we wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to do maybe at a big box retailer or in a pro shop or something like that. And there's there's plenty of benefits to doing that stuff and we can talk about it in a minute too. Um, but our own images, our own descriptions, Um, our own sort of like content that supports the listings, pricing, we were able to control all of that in Amazon early and off the bat. Couple that with the fact that I think a lot of people's journey starts and ends within Amazon as a search engine. We were able to, again, kind of like get in front of more people quickly with our advertising, 
um, and sort of optimized content that um, was helpful for us right out of the gate to reach more people very quickly. Um, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of folks within Pickleball too, like they want to touch it and feel it. And so Amazon's not perfect for them. That said, Amazon's got like a great return policy too. So if you buy something, you don't like it, you just send it back. Um, it's, you know, to the informed consumer can be a little bit low risk. So, um, you know, again, we felt like we could, we could get ourselves out there faster, farther utilizing Amazon as one channel. Um, and, uh, it's not without its challenges too, right? Like there's plenty of, um, you know, pros and cons to, to being on Amazon, but we thought the pros definitely outweighed the cons, um, to, to kind of get the word out, get the brand out and, and hit more consumers, uh, faster than if we were trying to do it elsewhere. And Pickleball has that like mom and pop feel, right? And then if you, most people for a while, when you look at an Amazon, you're like, oh, it's just a, it's a mega company. Like, right. It had that connotate, like kind of a negative connotation with it. But when you mentioned the cons, what are some of those challenges with, uh, use utilizing that larger platform? Yeah. I mean, one, it's just a little bit of a slow moving dinosaur. Like sometimes things don't work exactly the way you want to. You've tried to change your main product image and it takes like two weeks to update. And in the meantime, whatever, um, managing inventory, right? Like the operational hurdles of it too, right? So we're sending in inventory from our warehouse into Amazon and we've got to, it takes a lot of sort of time and effort from our operations team to make sure that we're on top of it. We've got product in stock. We're forecasting demand and making sure that you know, certain number of weeks of stock is always on hand at Amazon. And that can be at odds with maybe what we need to have in stock in our own warehouse or where we're sending to another account or something like that. So there's operational challenges there. Um, the fees are higher, right? As a seller, they take a healthy cut. Um, so nobody loves that, but, uh, you know, it's part of doing business. And again, outside of selling direct from your site, um, other channels take their cut and that's part of the business model and that's totally accepted. And if you forecast that in, it's not a surprise when it happens. Um, so yeah, those are, those are the cons, but again, the pros just volume, um, uh, a real nice surprise for us. And it makes sense in retrospect is our ball business on Amazon is really healthy. Again, I think balls are a much more natural Amazon type of product, right? Like I know I'm playing this weekend. I know I'm going to need balls. Let me just go ahead, get on there, buy them. I'll get them in one to two day shipping sort of no questions asked. Paddles are a little bit more of like a longer consideration purchase. I want to try it. I want to demo it. I want to think about it. Spending 50, 70, 100, $200 on a paddle is not something that I think is as quick of like a, let me just get on Amazon and grab one type of thing. And so um, we've been able to kind of really build a meaningful ball business on Amazon faster than we thought. Um, just again, due to the nature of the product, the lower price points and the fact that people kind of need them. Um, in a little bit of a quicker timeline than maybe they do a new paddle. You've like mentioned the balls, the paddles. I saw like the lead tape that was added as like a product too. What else are you guys working on? If you can, if you can disclose some of them. Yeah, uh, I'll talk about it too. I mean, we're still early in this. I mean, we've only been around for about a year. Um, and so the wave one of products that we put out there, which included the three paddles, launch power and pro and our, our initial optic balls, um, were, were sort of what we launched out the door with. We brought in the elite balls, which are what we kind of have as our competitive tournament style ball. I think you did the profile on it. We think it's somewhere between like an X40 and a Dura. It plays really well, um, much more durable than some of the competition out there. Um, so that was a really exciting launch for us. And then the next one is continuing to iterate and innovate on the paddles. Um, you can see it kind of obscured behind my plant here, but we've got a line of uh, raw carbon paddles coming out later this summer, later this fall. So trying to get you know, a little bit more on the higher end of the, what folks are asking for in sort of competitive and tournament play. Um, and we've put a ton of research product development and working with our manufacturer into making that as meaningful and as impactful as possible. Again, the features packed into it are exciting and, uh, there's a lot that has gone into it. And so again, later this summer, we'll get sort of the full readout on the features and the benefits of it too. Um, and then continuing to think, right? Like the with our existing paddles, we're definitely not done. We want to in it, you know, iterate and innovate on those too, whether it's feedback from customers. I think one of the most important things to me and to our company is to listen, right? We are out there playing, we're out there in communities. We are hearing feedback online. What do people like? What don't they like? What do they want to see? Um, and so we are taking all of that and feeding it into kind of the next round of products too. And so we'll be introducing more on the product uh, paddle front, different, right? Innovative on the paddle front. 
um, and uh, trying to kind of iterate and innovate with the existing lineup as we go to not just say, this is it, and this is going to be it for the rest of time. Yeah. Yeah. The feedback that part is just huge. I mean, you're basically just like doing product testing when you launch something new and then you get the feedback. It's like, cool, we're doing user testing in a sense. And I don't use feed or I don't use Facebook that much, but I do know Reddit like is a great place for feedback. I mean, yeah. if you look at just like any subreddit, people are brutally honest, almost like too much. It's, yeah, it's you can be anonymous. Yeah, right. You can say anything without fear. But like, I think that's where the honesty comes from. And like we say it all the time when we got our initial production samples uh, of our new raw carbon paddle in and we gave them out to the community and we had a, a lineup of testers set up like from day one or, you know, way before day one. Beginner players, intermediate players, a lot of advanced players and a lot of folks who we think will kind of be in this target market, you know, the four fives and up. Um, we said to them, like, we want your open, brutally honest feedback to the point where we gave them an anonymous survey to say, tell us everything. And, you know, um, that was super impactful and like tweaking and changing and making um, updates to what will an, an, an eventually launch into the market. Um, it's all based on on feedback and it's based on not what we think other people need, but what other, other people are telling us that they need. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something about like manufacturing R and D and that's such a big conversation and topic, at least on my end it is, man. Like I've had yeah. a couple paddle, uh, brands on the past, like few guests. And then you've also have, you and your team has had experience with Piper golf. So you, you have an idea of manufacturing and also like control freak too. I'm not necessarily asking for like the exact details, but like, how do you maybe like go about like R and D and like even manufacturing and handling that? Because something that you do here very often, it's no secret is that there's X number of factories in China, as if you are manufacturing in China and there's just like legal tiffs everywhere, right? Like people are claiming I have the first I created this. Then you have someone following up being like, no, I started, I, I'm the one who founded this first. So like, yeah, I mean, you guys have managed to stay out outside of that whole conversation, which is um, maybe that, that could be a strategic take, but yeah, just uh, curious to hear like your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, my initial reaction is it comes back to two things, which are relationships and patience. Um, the relationships I'm good at the patience. I'm not so good at. So I've learned on that. Look, the relationships, I, I learned it through, like you said, control freak, um, and through, you know, our, our golf ball business with Piper building a relationship with a supplier is so much more than ordering from them. It is qualifying their factory using the right standards. It is understanding, having them have an understanding of your business, your business model, your forecasting, just like you'd go in and like pitch an investor, right? Like we went in and, and not pitched, but gave a bit of an insight and insider look um, to these manufacturers to say like, what do you think? Are we the right relationship? Are we the right customer for you? And what are our options with you? Are you, you know, what are you going to allow us to do with you? Whether that's kind of scaling volume, whether that's building proprietary tooling or proprietary processes, um, or are you just simply interested in selling us stuff? And I think there's a lot of pickleball brands that are buying stuff off a menu. Um, and that's a great way to get started, but we are interested in actually developing our own stuff. Um, I mean, little things too, right? Like every single butt cap that we've got on our paddles is custom tooling with our logo into it with custom colors that are spot colored at the factory and things like that. So the details, you know, matter and making sure that you're setting up the relationship, not just from what are you going to get from a product perspective, which is very important, but are you on the same page with your vendors and your manufacturers from a business perspective too? Um, are they willing to scale with you? Are they willing to, you know, think creatively with you about when it comes to iterations and, and that type of thing. We told them flat out, like, we're going to be doing a lot of sampling and a lot of testing. And are you guys cool with that too, right? Like we want to make sure that we're not getting in your way. So um, building the relationship is super important. And then the patience, like I said, I want to get everything out there all at once, right? Like we would have launched this paddle already if it was, if it was up to me and I didn't have a great team of people kind of balancing me out. And so um, being willing to make changes, being willing to, wait um for feedback from customers and being willing to wait for um feedback from from people who are out there trying it 
Um, like I said, iterating, making changes, testing them again, right? Not thinking that you've got it right all from the start. Um, and so patience and actually building and delivering the right product that is ultimately, like I said, going back to filling that sort of market need as opposed to trying to get it all right all from the start. Yeah, I feel like it's tough when you're like in an industry where it's grow it's moving so fast and like the patience component that you're talking about is so huge. And I it's hard to, for me to speak on behalf of other businesses, but you can tell like some are don't have that patience and it's it's hard because then you forego developing a relationship, like you said, which is huge, right? Like you guys are going into the business with each other. It's, it's you're not just trying to treat it as like a transactional uh, kind of like deal, right? Like you want to make sure that this is you have a long term vision, which clearly you guys have that perspective just based on your experience. Yeah, and and you know taking advantage of it in the moment, but also thinking long term, right? Like, are there additional suppliers, vendors, relationships that we can build? Those, you know a new supplier or a new vendor or a new manufacturer, that conversation can sometimes start 18 months in advance. Right. And so, um, that patience as well, like for the companies out there that are just like, let me go and just order something now to scratch an itch. Right. Like that's not relationship building. That's not thinking into the future. It may be like capturing sales. And so we've spent a lot of time too thinking like, what if we could manufacture more in the U.S. and how does that look? And we started those conversations, right? What if we want to think about, you know, the ways, the actual manufacturing processes like I addressed and can we change those and alter those and change the entire way that the, you know, either that balls or paddles are constructed from a, you know, from a factory standpoint. Um, that stuff takes time. That stuff takes expertise. That stuff takes patience, um, but also can set you up for a different level of sort of success or, you know, a level of manufacturing prowess and expertise that doesn't come quickly, but can pay dividends over time. Yeah. I'd be curious to see if anyone makes that transition. I, I forget how many brands there are that are manufacturing in the U S but I don't know how many there are. If there are, there's very few. I know Selkirk has said designed, but I think designed, not, I think designed and manufactured are two completely different things, but, um, no knock on them. It, if they are manufacturing in the U.S., that's awesome, and that could explain why the paddles in the Selkirk Labs are expensive, uh, with the exception of the design, the design aspect and research too. Yeah, I probably could go to to school on this a little bit, but I think my understanding of it, and somebody explained this to me, so it could be entirely wrong, is that like Selkirk Selkirk is made and or assembled in the U.S., while the SLK brand is out of China, but that might be wrong. So I don't, don't take my word for it. Um, but that says, right, like they've even created the sub brand for some purpose. I don't know if it's price points or market share or what it is with the SLK brand, but um, it's expensive to do stuff in the US. It's different. And I think particularly for paddles, right? Like um, there's some handwork and labor that goes into assembling a paddle, right? Like uh, at least as, as we're doing it, right? Like the edge guards are applied and glued on essentially by hand, right? The grips are applied and, and put on by hand. Um, the way that we package our products right into the plastic wrap, into the bubble wrap, into the package, the box itself, um, a human is doing that. And um, for better or for worse, right, like that tends to be faster and more cost effective to do overseas than it does in America. You'd mentioned like goal and vision for Pickle, like when you're talking about building relationships, right, and like how to kind of look into the future. So like when you first, when you and your team first started Pickle, what was the goal and vision then compared to what's kind of, if it has shifted at all, like what, what is it now? It has shifted. Uh, I think there's a, I don't know, a couple of things to think about. I mean, first, like I said, the, the first goal was to create a vehicle for us to come together, back together around and, and work together on and have a meaningful and exciting and authentic brand building exercise. Like we were playing pickleball. Um, we knew that the wave was coming. And I think the part that has changed is we didn't quite realize the tidal wave that was coming with pickleball, right? Like when this was an idea in, you know, in the 2020 timeframe, um, nobody could have predicted the growth of the game to maybe people did. I didn't see it quite coming this much that like it's everywhere. Everybody's talking about it. It's the fastest growing sport in America and it's still the fastest growing sport in America and it's not going anywhere. So that's been exciting and it's presented obviously opportunity. I think it's emphasized for us that like, 
we need to move quick. And now is the time to really take advantage of the, the market within pickleball. Right. Um, I talked about operating with a healthy skepticism. Like I operate in the sense that pickleball could go away. I don't think it will. Right. I think it's got staying power, but like things come and go, at least from like a public interest perspective, the closest thing that I've thought about for pickleball was like the online and, and uh, world series of poker boom in like the two thousands where like all of a sudden everybody's talking about poker and everybody's playing poker and people playing online poker. And then like government regulation comes and then the ratings on ESPN aren't as good as they used to be for poker. And like plenty of people still playing poker, you go to Vegas and like the poker rooms are filled up or whatever, but like, I don't feel like we're talking about world series of poker bracelets. Like we were, you know, 15 or 20 years ago. And so like, maybe there's some of that with pickleball too. So it's emphasized the need to get together and get this done on a short and medium term basis um, to set ourselves up for the long term. Um, so speed, speed becomes a, a challenge. And that is a little antithetical to what I was talking about with patience. And that's why I'm kind of always pushing the team to, you know, make decisions and do them decisively and quickly, but also not to cut corners or, or overlook things. Um, and the second part is brand building, right? Like I think we, along with a lot of other folks, started pickleball companies in the last three or four years. Um, and so there's so much competition. There's like 700 paddle brands approved by USA Pickleball, right? Like um, we've really challenged ourselves to try to find the points of differentiation, be that on the product level, but more importantly, at the brand level. Um, and how are we going to stick out in a way that others are not on shelf, on Amazon, on the court? Um, what's going to be the differentiator, you know, or what are the different key differentiators and how we think about our audience and our products and our business and our brand, um, that make us something more than just another paddle company. Yeah. And I don't think you guys are going to have any problem with that. I mean, just based on your previous experience and even the way you guys look now, um, it's awesome that you can see that it is coming slowly. Like the fact that you're talking about the raw carbon faces coming out in the next like few months it's okay like there's no rush unless someone is going to be developing something completely new and different then then we'll see what happens there but yeah um, we want to be amongst that competitive set for you know the sort of informed buyers when it comes to the higher end players right like and so like i talked about raw carbon faces off feature and we've got a lot more features kind of under the hood when it comes to this paddle, what we put into it. And that really matters to some people. And to some people, it's the benefits, right? Like instead of talking about raw carbon, they want to talk about spin, right? Like instead of talking about edge foam injection, they want to talk about like stability and, you know, a larger sweet spot. So like are also having a healthy understanding of consumers and what moves some doesn't necessarily move all and having a, a way of talking about our business and our products that connects with more people authentically and, and openly and honestly instead of trying to drive like super heavy technical specifications down somebody's throat that may not care. And then vice versa too, right? Like if you are into the tech specs and you are into what goes into it, we can talk that talk too. Yeah. I feel like majority of people do not care or even know what a honeycomb core is or like EVA foam or like a raw carbon face. So like, just want something to play with. Can you please just make it easier? Yeah, right. It's like, when we talk about a five and a half inch handle, right? Like to some people that matters, but to other people, they're like, I want to hit a two handed backhand. And they don't know how many inches goes into that. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. It's so funny when you're talking about poker, uh, Chris moneymaker, man, that guy, like he was the guy. <laughs> there were yeah. so many, uh, I'm trying like, uh, Negranu, uh, all these people, this like came flooding back to my head as we were talking about it, but that was a, a fun period in time. And I played a lot of online poker and probably lost more money than I should have as a college student. Yeah. Um, actually, that's a good segue into this next question. Um, something that I'm not, no stranger to is VC backing, right? And when I did the analysis, I uh, found out that you guys received a $4 million investment. To me, I see that as pretty much only a positive thing. I think it's very easy for from looking at the outside in to be like, wow, must be easy, right? Like, but like I have a lot of obviously of a lot of different perspectives and takes on receiving a large sum like that. To quote the great Uncle Ben with great power comes great responsibility. But yeah, I'd be interested to just hear like your take on that and how that shifts company priorities and the type of strategic moves that you have to make? Yeah. Uh, a couple things come to mind. I mean, first I was taught from a young age from my dad, um, underfunded businesses fail, 
And that's across all businesses, right? You've got to have access to cash and to capital to operate a business. You can't be waiting on somebody to pay you to be able to do something, right? Like whether you're running, my dad ran a car wash and the same type of thing. Like he intentionally had more money in the bank for that car wash. He wasn't pulling money down for himself or for our family from that car wash because he knew something was going to break or somebody was going to quit or they were going to need to put money into something to keep the business going. And so having an underfunded business puts stress on the business in a way that uh, doesn't allow it to grow and flourish the way that a funded business does. And that obviously comes with um, what you talked about, added responsibility, which I think was a good thing for us that if I was kind of operating a business entirely with my own money, I'm the type of person and personality that responds better to the needs of others than sometimes I do to the needs of myself. And so uh, having the responsibility of an investor reporting to them on what we've got going on, our successes, our failures, the trajectory, where we think we're going, um, keeps me going, keeps me motivated and keeps me engaged in a way um, that, you know, not having an outsider might not do. And so that's been really important for us. And um, the last thing I'll say, and you know, fellow, fellow founders or people in the, the pickleball business or the sporting goods business or the physical goods business will understand, like, it's a capital intensive business, right? Like you're putting money out um, for product and for product development and for inventory um, to then turn around and sell it. And so uh, it can soak up money quickly. Um, we think we obviously have a plan to sell through inventory, make that money back and reinvest it into our growth. Um, but it takes a bit of a kickstart and kick in the butt financially to be able to do that. You know, I can go back to the Piper golf example, which is, you know, I started out of my own checkbook and I bought $5,000 worth of golf balls and I sold them all. I was like, awesome. That went really well, super fast. Now what? You know, I got to take all that money, buy it. And now I'm going to buy $10,000 worth of golf balls. But like I had ambition of buying a million dollars worth of golf balls, right? So how do I get to that point? And going out and raising money um, allowed us to do that. It also allowed us to jump to the point where we could get this amazing team together too. Um, so investing in people um, and, and again, being really fortunate to have, uh, you know, the, the financial backing and investor who understands the value of people and of a team um, because, you know, it'd be a tough sell, maybe not impossible sell, but a tougher sell for me to say, hey, everybody just trust me and work for free for a little while. And then we'll kind of, figure it out from there. Damn, that's really interesting. I don't mean to switch topics. Yeah. I forgot what I was going to ask, but some of you did talk about was like you work better. You op sometimes operate better by uh, kind of like the dependency of others like on you. It kind of got me thinking about the way you, you guys kind of like give back to the community. And another thing that came up was you guys give 10 per like 1%. Was it 1%? Yeah, 1%. Uh, we got that 1% promise and that that's part of our ethos we can get into it yeah yeah uh there's that and then there's also i think i got confused because i saw a post from like the was it called the ward foundation where you you guys were giving up like 10 percent of the proceeds so like 20 20 20 <laughs> damn yeah double uh, uh you don't really see that that often pickleball right now I, i'm very very familiar with that outside of uh pickleball right it's very common it's a great thing so just wondering like how that came about and Kind of like if you could walk me through like that the decision and who you give back to, uh, who you, like you support, and yeah, it's important to us as individuals to give back. That is part A. Part B is you know there's a lot of joy that comes from pickleball that we as people are fortunate enough to experience, and we know that there's a lot of people out there who are not fortunate enough to experience that joy. Be it on a pickleball court a basketball court, a soccer field, wherever it is, right? Like games, sports, fitness, that feeds into people's mental health, enjoyment, happiness. Um, and we, I get enjoyment out of seeing others do that. And I also know that it can provide sort of a, a vehicle and a value for, for good um, beyond what we can do by selling paddles and balls. And so um, I know 1% may not sound like a lot, but um, that's the starting point, right? Like if we make that commitment, then we can grow it from there. Um, and so what we've done is we've decided, you know, to promise that 1% goes back to organizations and um, charities and, and sort of uh, recipients that are 
yes, growing pickleball for communities that might not have access to it, but it's pickleball, it's fitness, it's sport, it's activity. Um, and it's, it's those lifestyle things that can provide a huge impact on a community. We've got a really exciting partnership to announce later this year on the charitable front um, that I can't divulge today, but I'm excited about that announcement with a very sort of prominent voice within Pickleball and what he's doing on the charitable front. Um, and so again, it goes back to why you do stuff, right? Like we all want to be successful, you know, we want to make money, but what do you want to do outside of that, that makes an impact on folks that gives people a chance to have a different or better outcome or, or, or life. Uh, and I'm not saying we're like tapping people and making people's lives so much better, but like, we'll start where we can start, which is, you know, if that means building a court or a playground or, you know, whatever, a new facility for people to enjoy pickleball and other sports and, and activities within communities that need it, then that's something that, uh, that we can feel good about and that will impact others too. You see different things like, uh, ball, like shoe and paddle recycling programs, but to give back to like the community in, in that sense and not just like donating paddles, but when you donate like money that allows them to look at it from like a broader perspective and to be able to utilize those financial means without just kind of pigeonholing them to like something like pickleball, but yeah. And the other part of it too, is like, we've got this belief, we, we call it team pickle, but like pickleball is just about community, right? Like people get together and build communities around pickleball. And for like the vast majority of what I've seen, it's like old, young, you know, all sorts of different socioeconomic backgrounds, all sorts of different racial backgrounds coming together and playing pickleball. And all of a sudden it doesn't matter who you are. And it's this great force for community building. Um, and so talking about Ward's foundation, right? Like they were trying to raise money for their, uh, their foundation that supports rare childhood diseases. And I was talking to them and it's a friend of mine. And she was like, we're thinking about doing a golf tournament. I was like, you should do a pickleball tournament. You'll get a lot more people. You will get a lot more impact and you will build a community around your charity in a way that foursomes out on a golf course won't necessarily do. They did it. I think they had like 300 people show up, some playing pickleball, some just there to kind of watch and support. It was awesome. Uh, and you know, we donated balls and we had demo paddles and we had a, a, a booth for sales that, um, you know, a portion of the proceeds were able to go directly back to the foundation. And so like, we played a small part in that, but ultimately like let pickleball be the force for good and in, in rallying people and bringing together in a community. And I guarantee everybody who was at that had a great time, wants to play more pickleball and is going to remember Ward's foundation for that in a way that maybe, you know, a cocktail hour or a golf tournament wouldn't have done. Yeah. Yeah. Like with pickleball, like there's not that, I guess, like impression that's already made. Like for golf, it has like a certain demographic, right? But like pickleball is still like very, relatively new in the sense of it being introduced to people more recently, but it isn't like only for specific demographics. So that it, it kind of feels more inclusive, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But there was certainly high level play, but there's a lot of people out there just having a good time moving around. And, you know, whether it was their first time or whatever, it was just like, Pickleball provides that that vehicle. Yeah, for sure. Man, if I need to start setting up like a jar in, in here for every time someone says community and just like about pickleball, like every single episode I've had, the community has come up like multiple times. It's amazing. I've met so many people through pickleball that like I would not have had in my life otherwise. And that's awesome. That's so cool. And I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, yeah. I've crossed many paths that I was like, we would not be friends otherwise. So this is very interesting. Um, yeah. And just like getting people's numbers and their contact information beyond just like social media. And you're, people are like, oh yeah, if you're ever in the area, just hit me up. And I'm like, yeah, this is so odd. Yeah, no, it's cool. And I've got a, like a bunch of people now on my phone that are just like, Brian Pickleball or Dan Pickleball. Like, I don't know their last name. It doesn't matter. I can still text with them and find a game with them and get together with them and have a good time. And that's, that's fun. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what happens on people's phones. It just says like James Pickleball, like Sarah Pickleball. It's just like no last name, no idea who they are, really. Um, Don't really care. I yeah. mean, I do care, but like, you know, I like we've come together on Pickleball and that is good enough for me. That's more than I have in common with most. You got, you've, you know, like successfully launched, successfully grown a company and sold it and you have like Piper and you have a group of people around you that are very supportive and that you can count on. And you also have a family. You, you mentioned you have a kid and now you have pickle, which is growing. What do you think 
how do you measure success just in your life? And we can kind of get into that philosophical side, if you if you will. A couple things. Uh, first, my motivator, probably a fear of mine, was like getting old and looking back and wishing I had done things differently. I don't want to do that. I don't want to think that I should have taken a risk or made a decision and I didn't do it because as far as I know, like you can't go back and change the past. And so um, I'm motivated by that. Um, and like that may be like the end goal is to be able to say when I'm at the end that I can look back and say, I did it the right way. I did it the way that I wanted to. I did it my way and I don't have any regrets about my life. Um, that's a very long-term outlook on what we're doing right now. The other part of it, and like I heard this on a Barstool podcast of all places, but it was an actor talking about, they were talking about like with the guys on part of my take, uh, you know, do you miss the days when you were like coming up, right? Like sometimes that's the fun part as opposed to when you've achieved something. And the, the lesson from that was like, just enjoy the journey, right? Like enjoy where you are when you're there, as opposed to just trying to get to the next spot. And so I try to remind myself as often as I can to enjoy the journey, enjoy the day by day, work on what we've got in front of us for now, and not spend too much time worrying and thinking about any specific goal off in the future, because you got to take the steps today to get to those goals. And it's good to have them in the background. Um, but ultimately, right, like if you enjoy the success and you look back and you think I wouldn't have done it any differently, that's that's good enough for me. And yeah, we've got, you know, specific goals, revenue goals, profitability goals, those types of things, too. And those are a backdrop for a lot of the decisions we make. Um, but ultimately, like. It's the day to day, it's the team, it's the people I keep talking about that, like we're doing it now. Let's enjoy it now. Let's make the most of it for now um, and see where that takes us. Yeah. There's a couple of things that came to mind. One of them was definitely when you're talking about the destination and the journey and someone had brought up in another podcast it, that I watched, not on here, but they were basically just like stressing the importance of the journey and not the destination because they're saying, like, okay, how many times have you focused so hard on achieving this one thing? And how many of those times did the outcome really change your life or did it, did it amount to what you thought it would? And they're like, not really. Like it's very rare or if not at all, like, like you said, the journey is actually the most fruitful, the most like rewarding part of it all. Just getting to the top of the mountain. That's not actually really the point. It's like the experiences and those like obstacles that you experience on the way. And the other thing that you mentioned, just reminding me of this quote about when you're talking about regret, so Kobe Bryant had this trainer. He's the same trainer of uh, Michael Jordan too. His name is Tim Grover. He came out with this book. It was called Relentless. I remember reading it, but I saw him on a podcast recently. He said, if you think the price of winning is too high, wait until you get the bill for regret. And I was like, absolutely. Like, yeah, I resonate yeah. with that hundred percent. Yeah. It honestly just hit me too. It's almost like a meta pickleball is like a metaphor for the same thing. And this is crazy that I just came to this, but I think it's actually right. So like if you've got the goal of winning a pickleball tournament, right? You start to actually break that down into the pieces. Well, yeah, you've got to win your match, but to win your match, you've got to win the game and to win the game, you've got to win the point and to win the point, you've got to hit the right shots and to hit the right shots, you've got to move your feet and have your footwork correct and have your technique be correct and how to communicate with your partner. And so like living it shot by shot and point by point, as opposed to like tournament by tournament or like year by year or medal by medal, right? Like that's, I think what I'm trying to have in my own life is let's, let's do it day by day. Yeah. You've got the backdrop that I maybe want to win at the end, but let's take the right steps and do the right things and enjoy the pieces that go into winning. Um, so that we don't say, well, shoot. I kind of missed all the details and wish I would have paid attention more or something like that. Yeah. And to quote one of the greatest franchises of all time, <laughs> live life a quarter mile at a time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it. A quarter mile at a time. Uh, all right. We're at like the hour and I know you got a lot of stuff on your plate. I, there's just so many, I have literally a list of questions that I meant to ask, but you covered a lot of stuff that also I wasn't expecting. And this was a great call, but, uh, 
want to get just give you a chance to uh, plug away for pickle for Piper Golf, any of your businesses. If you want to give a shout out to your wife and kids, you know, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, I mean, look, pickle. We're excited about what we're doing. Um, as as we talked about, you can find us on Amazon. Our Elite Forty balls are flying off the shelves, and we've got some exciting stuff coming with the Elite Forties. Uh, new paddles coming out this summer. Uh, so keep in, in, uh, an eye out for that. Uh, I would encourage everyone to subscribe to our social media at PCKL ball, pickle ball, um, and our, uh, our biweekly newsletter, the pickle 11 to keep in touch with what we've got going on. And it's a lot of the best content in pickleball kind of aggregated together. Um, yeah, shout out to my family. They're great. <laughs> Love my wife and kids and, uh, they keep me motivated and, you know, I'm playing a ton of pickleball with my wife. I've got the the net now in the driveway with the kids and they're learning. So, uh, it's, uh, it's a force for good. And I know people tune into this, uh, already in the pickleball space, but we all know the the truth pickleballs, you know, the greatest thing to come along since sliced bread. So we're going to stick with it. Yeah, for sure. Well, man, if you're ever in Austin, uh, you know who to hit up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we can do it again. If you got more questions, this has been a great conversation. I loved learning about you, Brian, too. So, um, your background is awesome. Fascinating. We can get into it again at some point too. Definitely. Once you guys re- like have more announcements and releases and we can talk about them, happy to do a follow-up one. Cool, man. Thanks again. Yeah. Thank you.